Well, welcome to this latest ITM podcast, Vodcast, recorded live and available on demand. We're now bringing our conversations to life with added video. The purpose of the ITM Vodcast series is to gain insight from some of the most influential buyers and suppliers in the industry. The key difference is that we want you to really get to know these amazing leaders so that when we can finally be together again, you'll feel like you're already firm friends with plenty for you to get talking to them about. I'm really pleased that our second vodcast guest is a longtime friend of mine. It's Emma Jones, Procurement Director at Willis Towers Watson, and of course, ITM Board Director. Hello, Emma. Hey, Scott. How are you? I'm really good. Good to see you. I actually didn't realise when you said vodcast, I thought it was like a podcast with vodka. I didn't realise it was like a video podcast, so it's all changed. We're recording here in the, in the morning, but, you know, if whatever makes you comfortable, I really don't mind. I, <laughs> I always love your classy background as well. <laughs> thank you. So, Emma, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. It's going to be really good fun chatting to you. I think just to start with, for any of our listeners and watchers that might not know you, do you want to give us a quick uh, walk through your CV? It's not an interview, so we better make it relatively brisk. But uh, I know you've been, you've been both buyer and supplier side, which is um, not very common. Yeah, so I started my career 20-odd years ago at British Airways. So um, I started in Newcastle and then moved down to London to headquarters at Waterside. And I was with BA for about eight years in various different sales and commercial roles. And it gave me a real love for the travel industry, actually, and particularly with airlines at the time. Um, And I think through that role, I learned that the, uh, the industry was more than just airlines. The travel industry was huge. And uh, I then moved into HRG for five years, so into the TMC environment, which again, gave me a huge amount of opportunity. I started in their consulting division in hotels. So that gave me a different sort of category to look at outside of air. Went off, had a baby, came back and then went into account management. So that's when I got to some regional and global roles and understood more around different industry verticals. So I managed GSK and then managed Credit Suisse as well. So um, that was great. Came back to BA after that for a second time for three years. Um, And that was to manage the strategic corporate accounts there. But that gave me an opportunity to have people management and line management that I hadn't had experience of before. Um, And then from there went to EY, where I was there for three years as the EMEA travel leader. So a very innovative, forward-thinking company. So some phenomenal people there as well. And then from there, went back into airlines again. So um, went to work for Virgin. In fact, took over from you, Scott, in the role there as head of sales. Um, And then subsequently, I'm in the role that I'm in now. So I've been I think in Willis Towers Watson, just over two years in the global role, looking after um, uh, hotel, oh gosh, travel, meetings and events and payments. So, yeah. What an amazing career. It's like a greatest hit, isn't it, of the companies to, to go and work for <laughs> and, and get experience. And obviously you learn lots, I'm sure, all those roles, but anything that would stand out that you, you know, where, where did you do your most uh, intensive learning? I have to say, actually, all of them gave me something different, whether that was honing existing skills, learning new skills, new experiences. 
I think, you know, when I talked about TMCs, that really does give you a real flavor of what happens within the industry at all levels, I have to say. Um, and it's just a recognition that the industry is actually very multidimensional um, and there's a lot going on within the industry. But I think what each of them probably had in common was the ability to learn and to grow and so on. But uh, yeah, very different, I think, being on the the buyer to the supplier side. I think there's a lot of similarities in terms of the skills that you use. But I think the big difference is when you're with a supplier, your, your core business is travel ultimately. So you live and breathe it. Whereas when you're on the buyer side, it's unlikely that the business you're in, their core business is travel. It will be something different for us. It's financial consulting insurance. Um, so you become a support function. But Actually, this year has taught us that I think it has elevated travel and meetings and events within the businesses themselves. And I've said it before that I now think, you, you know, it's seen as an enabler to the bottom line. So actually, it's a great opportunity within the buyer community now to elevate roles, I think. Yeah, definitely agree. And you talk um, very well and regularly on the subject. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, I'm really loving watching what you're doing there at Willis Towers Watson. And You've obviously had a number of very senior roles in the industry. In terms of people that might be considering their career, developing, looking for opportunities, what career advice would you give to anyone looking to progress in this industry? You know, I think that it's probably not specific to the industry. I'd say it if it was any particular industry, but I would, I would always just say yes. So really open yourself up to opportunities. There are definitely jobs I've been in where I knew that I probably had a bit of imposter syndrome, that person sitting on my shoulder going, you can't do it. And actually I just went ahead and did it anyway. I sat outside my comfort zone, but that's where you grow the most, I think. So I would say to people, be courageous, be really curious about roles and take the opportunity. And I think, you know, we're in a world where Instagram is prolific and social media and you have sort of what Instagram version is versus the real version. And I think some people think that there has to be this level of perfection. And actually, I've learned that you should just bring yourself to, to, the, to the conversation. Just be yourself, be the real self. Because if you're looking to cultivate connections, you have to be you. And I think that's really important. So be yourself and be open to opportunities, I would say. That is really brilliant advice because a lot of people think that somehow leadership roles are putting on an act and maybe learning from some of the people you've observed and, and trying to do things the way you saw it done. And you're so right that authentic, authentic behaviours are absolutely what, what counts, right? And you, you can only be yourself because everyone else is taken. I agree. And I just think, you know, the further up you go through up organisations, EQ becomes so incredibly important. It's so important to be empathetic and to really show, as you said, your authenticity. I think it's key. Very well said. So um, let, let's think a little bit about the, the current situation that we all find ourselves in. When I think of you, I always think of you being very close to your traveller community at Willis Towers Watson. But what's your sense of what your colleagues' confidence and desire is to get travelling again? I think it depends on where you're sitting. So whether you're in the UK as we are now, in um, Asia, in China, I think the companies that have a lot of Chinese travel, then actually they're almost back to normal, really. You know, they're back to sort of pre-pandemic levels, particularly domestically, less so internationally. 
But if you're thinking more in this region, I read a stat the other day from one of the consultancy firms that was saying they thought there would be like 10% of colleagues that would have massive pent up demand, about 60% that would travel as and when they needed, and probably another 30% that would just put it off for, for the time being. And I think that's probably reflective of where people are seeing themselves around confidence. I mean, we're doing, and I've mentioned before, we do a welcome home survey, <clears throat> excuse me, and we don't have that many people traveling at the moment, but we always ask them to, on a scale of one to five, to say how confident they are. And so far, everybody has been a four or a five. So the people that are traveling have been very confident with their air travel, with their hotel, with their ground travel. And we just want to make sure that as we know it's going to be complex moving forward, that we try and take the friction out of that traveller journey as much as we can. Oh, so, it, yeah, I think it... Sorry. Oh, go ahead. So I just think, you know, in addition to that, it also aligns to vaccine rollouts as well. So I think, you know, people have said we need to open up air corridors and vaccinations. We need to probably quicken up in some areas more than others. So I think there will be a willingness to certainly travel once people have had vaccines. But again, you've got to be really careful as an organisation around what you say around vaccines. You want to encourage people to have them. But of course, you can't tell them they need to have them either. Agree. Agree. Got mine tomorrow, Emma. Newsflash. Oh, Mine's on Friday. Just booked it now. <laughs> Good work. So I know um, many of our ITM buyer members have reported that one of the things they ex expect to see quite a lot less of is internal travel uh, for meetings uh, going forward. How permanent do you think some of this leaning towards homework and virtual meetings will be? And do you expect to see that, that sort of reticence towards travelling for internal meetings in your business? You know, it'll be uh, some of it will depend, actually, and I think on the culture of your business, actually, because I think, you know, there are some companies who have come out and said they're happy for their workforce to be virtual moving forward and to be home workers. I think there are others that will probably have the same behaviours if they did pre-pandemic. And then I think there are companies that are trying to take some of the learnings from the pandemic and apply some behavioural change moving forward. And I would say we're probably in that camp. So, you know, I've talked very openly around the work that as a company we're doing around reimagining the workplace um, and the work that we're then building on that around reimagining travel. So I think it allows us to start having strategic conversations around travel and meetings and events become an enabler to the bottom line um, and what the ROI of that is. So it's really identifying what the value is of face-to-face -face interactions. And there definitely is value. I think it just depends on what it is. Um, I read the other day someone was saying does the office become like a culture space so it's where you build connections where you foster innovation and collaboration and I think absolutely it will I don't think it's a place you necessarily go to do your job and sit at your computer and do what you were doing at home you can do that at home I think you're going for other reasons moving forward and I think that applies to to traveling as well. I strongly agree. I know you and I are both strong believers in the power of culture, and um, it's just a very difficult thing to engender to embed over virtual platforms, isn't it? It really is. And I think if you've got new starters coming in, that must be really tough because, you know, how do you generate that level of culture? But I think what's been really interesting, particularly in our business, you know, Senior leaders only have so much time to get round and see, go to countries and see different offices. But actually, we've been able, like we're doing now, 
to connect virtually and, and actually the scope of individuals that you can then see and share information with is so much more vast. So actually, there's definitely opportunities to embed culture even virtually, although I recognize, you know, in terms of collaboration and so on, face to face will always be the way we need to go. Right. I think uh, to try and embed culture virtually, you've got to blow it up even bigger, haven't you, for sure, and really role model that. And it is incredible, you know, a lot of people over the last year may have started a new role in a new company and still not met any of their colleagues. And that's going to be, you know, the case for a lot of people, I'm sure. And yeah. you mentioned about, you know, uh, connecting with people. And I always think when we get an influential buyer like yourself uh, in front of our uh, delegates, I always try to give the supplier side a kind of a kind of a window into your psyche, if you like. So if, um, you know, if there was a supplier who would love more of your business, what are your best performing suppliers and the people that work for them that you interface with? What are they doing that sets them apart? Well, you know, I'm a very visual person, so my memory's not brilliant. So I always tend to talk about alliteration quite a bit so I can remember things. If you remember back to the conference, I was talking about visibility and value. And I think for, for um, suppliers and our partners, it's around probably more around purpose and preparation for me. So it's being really purposeful. So it's really understanding what it is you're trying to achieve and being able to sit in the other person's shoes to really identify what they're trying to achieve and what each other's agendas are. And then being really prepared, doing your homework, understanding who the decision makers are, almost like wargaming it. You know, it's like, who do I need to influence? Who else do I need to influence? If I can't influence them, who else can support me and so on? And I think those things are really important. I think you need to actively listen and understand and I think there's this misnomer about listening is just sitting there and literally just listening actually listening is about engaging it's a two-way conversation and I think that's really important and you know we will have some suppliers that we will meet with quarterly and I won't hear from them from one quarter to the next and actually in order to build up trusting relationships it's important that there's ongoing communication and I think that level of engagement is really key particularly now more than ever and I think with our best performing suppliers, there's constant dialogue. We're constantly having dialogue and moving that forward. And I think that's really important. And I think for us to be able to trust our suppliers and vice versa, for me, it's around integrity. So um, for me, that means doing what you say you're going to do. So that's both on our side and on the supplier side, because there has to be trust on both sides. Fascinating that you mentioned that because obviously, you, having worked on both sides, you, you, you understand this process better than many. And of course, you'll know that in a CRM driven world of a salesperson, that quarterly meeting will be a key event that lots of attention will be, will be focused on. But you're actually saying that it's what happens in between those milestone meetings that, that makes more difference to you. Totally. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. I think it's because there needs to be a feeling that. Both, both sides are in it for the right reasons and it, and it becomes a partnership and a relationship and you're talking about continuous improvement. It isn't just going from one milestone to the next because I think that just becomes very one-dimensional. And as we said, it's a complex environment. There's a lot to think about within travel and I think actually it's multifaceted. It's fascinating. Isn't it? So any supplier that comes in to see you, Emma, you know you've sat in their seat, you know what the CRM is saying, you know the, the process they're following and... Uh, so you, you better do your homework when you go and see Emma. But also I'm picking up that she's into alliteration. So, you know, if you, can, <laughs> if you can get in some of those P's, you're going to have her attention. Just to finish that piece. Exactly. Off, what, what kind of conversations really grab your attention if, if, if a supplier 
uh, wants to come in and see you? What's the kind of thing that's going to get in your door? It's rather than thinking about particular subjects, and there are lots of subjects, obviously, and sustainability is one that everybody's talking about, colleague well-being, etc. And there's lots of those key topics that can be talked about, but it's coming up with the not so obvious stuff. So, like I said, not coming in one dimensional, really having thought and prepared about those conversations, recognizing what we're doing as a business and maybe what we're not doing as a business and being able to bring that very helicopter view because, you know, our suppliers have a really great opportunity of the value they bring of understanding what other customers are doing and bringing that to the table and saying, have you thought of about this that would really pique my interest like no I haven't what you know what types of things are you thinking about so really to drive the conversation forward and I think and I think times have gone and, and definitely now because we can't look back anymore we have no baseline to look back on but you know historically it was let's look at performance retrospectively and we say to our suppliers every you know two-thirds of what we want to talk about is forward thinking it's about what we're going to do not what we could have done or what we have done and I think that's really important makes good sense okay I think we've really given people some help there as to how uh, how to interface with you going forward and Emma, you always strike me, you're someone that's always learning. So I want to shift the questions now. These are much more about you as the person, which is the, the bit I'm really interested in. So what have you learned about yourself during this very strange year of living and working so differently? Um, I've learned that I'm a workaholic and that's not a good thing. So I think, you know, you can decompress when you go into the office and when you leave the office. So when you get home, you're not talking as if you're still at work. And I think I have found that I have a tendency to be always on. And so my brain is always, you know, I'm lying in bed thinking about things all the time. So it hasn't allowed me to decompress. So from a resilience perspective and particularly from self-care, it's had an impact. So if I think of self-care, I think of, you know, being active, eating healthily and sleeping enough. And I definitely haven't been doing those things in the way that I need to, for sure. So, you know, I am somebody who loves to learn. So I read a lot. So I'm reading where it's here. Time, your time to thrive. So Ariana Huffington's book, she's just brought it out. And it's the perfect book for me because it talks about micro steps. So the little steps that you can make, small, easy steps that you can make that turn into habits. So for me, it's things like I don't have any blue light after nine o'clock. So no looking at, you know, emails, mobile phones, nothing. When I get up in the morning, normally the first thing I do is grab my phone. Let me just check everything. No, I go and have my breakfast, have a cup of tea, then I'll check my phone. No snacking late at night, no caffeine late at night. You know, these are small things, but actually to me will actually make a massive difference. So those are the things that I'm trying to work on. So as I get through my book, I'll be able to tell you more about how I'm doing on that journey. But yeah, it's a work in progress for sure. Good for you, because I mean, we all need to just constantly pay attention to ourselves, don't we, and try, try to keep helping. I'm only just distracted. I'm trying to look. I could have sworn blind you sent me a text message a couple of nights ago after nine o'clock. But, you know, I'm going to I'm going to let you get away with that. <laughs> I did say it's a work in progress. OK, yeah, always. OK, good. So let me think about you more as a person. Obviously, I know you really well. I can probably answer this question a bit myself, but I'm going to ask it for our delegates. How would your best friends describe you, Emma? I'm not sure I could say, actually. <laughs> I'm not sure I can tell you. I, I know they'd say 
I was definitely loyal and I think they'd say I was funny, but um, I think they probably say I was determined. So I'll always find a way, whatever it is for whatever I'm doing, I'll always find a way. But I know that can actually be very frustrating for my friends because I'm really impatient. So I'm always wanting to move forward, drive forward. I always need to see momentum. I can't just stay still. And um, so for me, I know that can be really frustrating for my friends, but I would say, yeah, determined, I think is what they'd call me. Good stuff. Oh, generous with their time. Oh, thank you, Leanne. <laughs> yeah, one of our, for, for our audio uh, delegates, one of our uh, delegates suggested you're also very generous with time. And you are, and I have to say, you know, time spent with Emma is always time well spent. You will laugh, but you will learn as well. And that's, that's a pretty cool thing to say about a friend for sure. So we've got um, just under 10 minutes left. So now I want to turn the attention completely to understanding you a little bit more. We've got a little bit more time here. And let's think about um, you in the round, if you like. I really like asking this question to people. Outside of work, and people tend to default then to parenthood if they're, if they're lucky enough to be a parent. But if we can put that aside as well, what are you most proud of or passionate about? I mean, you mentioned it before about I always like to learn. I think I'm just a nosy person. So I always like to read. I mean, a week doesn't go by where I have not bought another book from Amazon. And my husband's like, you've got 40 books by the side of your bed that you're yet to read. Surely you don't need to buy another one. But I just get fascinated. I think, oh, I need to read about that person and people that have done things in their life that have impacted. And, you know, I'm really interested in like real life dramas. So particularly like financial. So I read quite recently, I was going to turn into a book club, but um, Million Dollar Whale. I don't know if you've read that about the Malaysian financier, the biggest financial heist in history. Just They're just, it's fascinating things around how people have influenced other people and managed to get away with things that you think there's no way they can get away with that. So yeah, I love, I just love to read. I'm just, I'm nosy. I just love to know what's going on in other people's lives. Maybe we'll find a way of posting Emma's suggested reading list. That sounds good. Are you? You know what? I think that's a good thing to do. I think we should do that. I think we should have a book club. Why not? We've got we've got time, goodness sake. And <laughs> yeah. someone, do you always finish these books as well? Especially I'm thinking about more of this sort of management and the help books. Do you, do you always get to the end? I do, but I, I, I tend to dip in and out for a lot of those books. So even this book that I'm reading, I'll probably dip in and out. And it's never a book that I can hand to somebody else because I'm there with a pen underlining things. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it depends on the book. And I'm normally reading more than one book at a time as well. So something more chiclet that's very easy versus something that's a bit more heavy. That's a good idea, isn't it? Because, yeah, you, you want to you sort of feed both parts of your brain, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. All right. So a bit of a cliche question. Here. Tell us something about you that might surprise people. See, I think I'm quite an open book. I know I get told like too much information. My team are off, often saying too much information and they'll be laughing now. Um, I'm, I try to be actually quite creative. So when I get an opportunity, so in the past I've made my own jewellery, but of course I can't, I have to make it into like a little mini um, sort of company then and sell my own jewellery and go off to craft fairs and various different things. So I've done that in the past. And I also make sweetie trees. I love making, you know, so those big trees that you make of Haribo or lint chocolates or whatever. I've made those for my team before last Christmas. I did that for them. So I love just being creative and doing things like that. I think it's just a way for me to just decompress and get away from things. Um, so yeah, 
maybe people wouldn't have known that about me. So if you need a sweetie tree or some jewellery, I'm your girl. I didn't know that I needed a sweetie tree in my life until now. And now, <laughs> now you I'm, do. I'm just a bit upset you haven't made me one before that at all. But, <laughs> I'll yeah. make you one, Scott. So kind. Okay, so oh, also um, thinking about the food thing, we'll stay on that track. These are the repeating questions now that we ask all of our brilliant guests. So um, lots of us have done more cooking than usual during this lockdown period. Have you got a go-to dish that you cook? What do you? What's your your best dish? Uh, I'm I'm not a good cook. I have to say, I love baking and I love making cakes and stuff, but I'm not a very good cook. So I would say, up until about two months ago, it would be like smoked, not smoked, poached salmon and noodles, something like that, something fairly e- easy to do. Um, but now oh, I have bought so boiled fish. <laughs> Yes, yeah, yeah, poached, we like to call it, Scott, poached fish, yeah. Um, but now I, my life has turned upside down, and probably loads of people know about it, but it was very new to me, with this um, contraption called a Thermomix. So it's quite an investment, but it is the most brilliant thing I've ever bought. And it's a machine that has almost like a little iPad on the front of it. And it tells you step by step, add this, add 50 grams of honey and add this, add this. And I've made, I make homemade soups. I make my own curries. I'm, I've made pita bread. You can just make so much more. So I'm actually really enjoying cooking now, which I never, ever did before. So yeah, I love it. So yeah, Thermomix is the way forward. They're brilliant. I agree with you. I'm cooking lots more than usual. I'm making my own curries, which is a new thing. I think I've invented- Yeah, great. I think I've invented a new dish, Emma. I, I, I may have to look this up. I may not have been the inventor, but it's called a scromlet. So <laughs> gra- scrambled egg. I put smoked salmon in, just a few bits. And then after it's um, sort of scrambled, just let it sit there for a while so that it goes like an omelette on the bottom. Amazing. Everybody try it. <laughs> Very good. Scromlet. Excellent. I'll have to try that. <laughs> okay. The next question. Favourite album? It's a bit, it, it dates us both to talk about albums even because kids these days don't listen to albums. But what would be yours? Again, and I listen to all different types of music because I think it just, it jogs my memory about certain people, certain situations. I just love it. But I don't think I have a favourite album. I probably, my favourite artist would be Prince. So it's one regret that I never, ever got to see him in concert. I never saw him live, but I thought he was phenomenal. So I could listen to his music all the time. And I'm also a bit of a Fleetwood Mac fan as well. So I I like a bit of Fleetwood Mac. So that is aging me, unfortunately. But I like all the good old stuff, I have to say. Even people that don't, that say they don't like Fleetwood Mac, they do, I'm sure. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) down to our last few questions now. So... What about looking back, what's the one piece of advice you would have given to your younger self? You know what, there's probably two pieces. One is I've got just up here, um, there is a, a framed quote that I've got, which says, comparison is the thief of joy, which is by Theodore Roosevelt. So, and I sort of mentioned it earlier, but just be yourself. That's what I would tell, you know, I think a lot of people, both male and female, suffer from that little voice that says, can I do it? Am I, you know, I think I'm out of my depth. I shouldn't be here. You know, even coming on here, I'm like, why would anybody want to listen to what I've got to say? You know, and I think you just have to be yourself. And and I would say, be the best version that you can possibly be. And I think the other piece of advice is, And I think when you're younger, you're probably quite naive to this, or certainly I was. So I thought as long as I did a really great job, 
people would recognize it. I'd get tapped on the shoulder and I'd get a promotion and I'd fly through. And it actually doesn't work like that. But actually, you need to have some real cheerleaders in the business that are cheerleading you and advocates for you when you're not around and they can talk about the things that you're doing. And I would say to anybody, make sure you're really purposeful in that, that you have some really great cheerleaders around you. I think that's really important. That's really brilliant advice. Um, certainly agree with everything you said there. And, and the thing about, you know, not comparing is so important, especially for younger people in the in Instagram age. You know, you, your journey is the one that counts, not the person that you're comparing yourself to. It just uh, is such an important thing to take on board. So true. So true. So last couple of questions. I think I'll, I'll put another way around the way that I normally do. I think you may have answered this one, but do you have a different one that's your motto for life? So it's the one my mum always tells me. So it's, you know, treat others as you'd want to be treated yourself. And I think, you know, you can't really go far wrong with that, actually, if you sort of live by that. And I try and live by that as much as I can. Too true. So can't believe the time's gone really fast, Emma. And I know. I was being a bit selfish asking you to come on because I just wanted a half an hour to chat to you about you because it's <laughs> fascinating to me. But our last question is, what is happiness to you? Well, it was getting my nails done last night. That was for starters. And getting my hair coloured tomorrow. That's happiness for me at the minute. Um, but, you know, I think probably like everybody, it will be family and friends. And I think no more than now and not seeing those people. And, you know, a lot of people have lost people. I have too over the pandemic. And I think it just brings it home that actually buying handbags or shoes, although still very important, actually, it's, you know, it's about the experiences and the time that you spend with loved ones and friends and family. And so for me, it, it's always going to be about that. Emma, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast slash vodcast. It's been an absolute treat chatting to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So that was our second podcast vodcast. We're so grateful to Emma for joining us. Of course, don't forget to join us for ITM's Revive Conference on the 27th and 28th of April. We've got a fantastic lineup as always. And this year we've got an evening of entertainment on the 27th, courtesy of our friends at Headbox that you won't want to miss. You don't even have to be a conference delegate to join. Everyone and anyone is welcome to come and have fun with us that evening. So thanks once again, and we'll see you on the next ITM podcast and vodcast. See you soon.